Rugby on the Raw. Hi everyone, Brett McKay from the Raw Rugby Podcast here, letting you know that Harry Jones and I will be back in February to kick off another massive season of weekly pods and instant reactions, and with a list of ideas and guests as long as Harry's 2022 travel schedule. But in the meantime, the Raw's rugby editor Christy Doran is embarking on a series of pre-season chats, getting around to all five of the Australian Super Rugby Pacific franchises for a conversation with their respective head coaches. During the rugby season, we rarely get the chance to explore the human element of coaching, analysis and performance and predictions and steaming hot takes, if we're honest, all dictate the time and space. There's really no time to find out who the people are making the tackle, scoring the winning try, or in the case of these chats, the guys holding the clipboard. So Christie's doing something about that with the aim of bringing us closer to the Super Rugby teams and gaining a unique insight into who these coaches are, how they got to where they are and what drives them. There's a healthy dose of reflection of last year and a very obvious look at the path ahead with all roads leading to Paris later this year and the Rugby World Cup starting on September 8. I'm sure you'll learn something and we obviously hope you enjoy them over the next few weeks before Harry and I return with the weekly pods for the start of Super Rugby Pacific. So with thanks to the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, here's Christy Doran with the first of his pre-season chats with Melbourne Rebels head coach Kevin Foote. Rugby on the Raw. The first man to join me on this exciting journey in 2023 is not an Australian. He's a South African, a former South African seven stars turned coach. The latest to dive into the brutal realm of coaching. He's approaching his second full season as head coach. Kevin Foote, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Christy. Thanks for having me. We're inside the Amy Park uh, precinct here, your office, um, do you feel like you're, uh, you know, with every passing day, you're more familiar with this environment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, been here for a while now as an assistant, and we've now got our own gym, own facility. So I love being here. You know, the energy of Amy Park and the tennis is coming. So that's going to be great. And then having the storm on our doorstep and demons. Um, feel really grateful for this environment. It's a really high performance environment. We'll just scroll back a little bit. Um, festive period, always a busy one. Um, it was probably a bit different for you. you went back to South Africa is that right yeah I went back um back to South Africa for the first time in four and a half years so that was really special um got to meet my brother's children you know for the first time and he got to meet mine and got my parents down so we all went back to Cape Town and uh it was 10 days there really really nice and just hoping my wife and kids decide to come back in two weeks time <laughs> Ten, ten days goes pretty quickly, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it does. I mean, it was a 27-hour flight there through Singapore, but you know, I'll never get that time back, so I'm really grateful for that. You know, we speak a lot about the best gift you can give someone is time, so to have that time was really special for me and my family. Yeah. What, what was it like? Four and a half years is quite a while. Um, COVID, you've, you know, COVID wasn't even a thing back mm. four and a half years ago. Um, did you know that? for the first two years of that you wouldn't go back or was it yeah we sort of made peace with that but um you know it was just the uncertainty of COVID. we just didn't know and um you know seeing my parents get COVID and they're a bit older and you know the effect that has had, had on them and has had on them now um that was pretty scary and even i'd say now christy just saying goodbye to them was hard because it's just the uncertainty again you know so um yeah, COVID rocked us a little bit, especially in Melbourne. But again, it just probably made us really appreciate the time we do get to spend together. Um, so this was really special now for me in Christmas time. 
So when you went back to South Africa just recently, what did you um what did you get up to? You, you saw yeah. your, your family and yeah, I did the family. I, I made a conscious decision to just do family up until Christmas, and then after Christmas, catch up with my friends who my generation sort of stuck around in Cape Town. So it was a really good get together, um, and they were special. But just showing my kids the beauty of Cape Town. You know, we went to the different beaches. We'd wake up at half past four and go watch the sunrise on one side, and then go the other side to London and watch the sunset and just uh, tell them, oh, this is where, you know, I met your mom and this is where you were born and sort of thing. And look, they're at the age now where they don't really care too much, but hopefully they'll have some good memories now they're a bit older. Yeah, yeah. What, what was it like growing up in South Africa? Um, we all know that it's uh, rugby is a big sport over there, but when you're a teenager growing up, uh, what was it like? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I grew up in Johannesburg, which is, I mean, it's a, it's, it's got a reputation of a city being dangerous, but the people were incredible, you know, that we looked after each other and the village and I went through, um, so I didn't really know what apartheid was because you were so naive. And then all of a sudden, you know, apartheid finished and, um, we had Nelson Mandela and 95 World Cup and it was right on my doorstep, you know, and I saw this all happening. It changed my life, you know, because all of a sudden I had guys with black guys and colored guys and white guys all in the classroom for the first time. And we got on so well, you know, and my closest mates. So I went through this whole seeing a sort of a, a nation come together and different cultures and when it works, just how powerful it is. And that'll always stay with me, Christy. And if I think about Melbourne now, we've got Samoan and Tongan and Cook Islands, African and English, and try and merge those together. And the power of the diversity is is something that I was very fortunate to have growing up in South Africa. Obviously, massive challenges in South Africa as well. But one thing I said to my parents when I left was, I'm proud of them for teaching us to be resilient because right now that country needs people who are going to be resilient and accept that there's power outages and there's poor water and there's all those challenges, but still staying positive and reframing and moving forward. Come to a couple of those things in a short while. Um, you, you went to a like a private school over there they're called well, they were public school what, what yeah, was it, was it? Public. it was so i went to king edwards um but it's a really good public school yeah you know um my father was my headmaster so, was he yeah from primary school which had its own challenges of course. every team you make it's because your father's this and everything is just because of that and so i got up in a lot of blues when i was growing up obviously like a lot of fights you know because i was fiery i'm still fiery and um but it you know growing up that school taught me a lot around our, our slogan was strenue, which is the Latin word for strive. And it's always strive to be better, strive, strive to fight, strive to keep going. So that stuck with me. And um, yeah, big Joe Funny Kirk, you know, I played in the loose trio with him. Joe went on to play 50 games for the Springboks. So I had a great time growing up. You know, I love my school. I love my province. So I went to go watch the Lions back in the day, you know, play super rugby. And, yeah. Um, and it was awesome, you know watching John Alamu play against the Blues at Ellis Park and all that stuff was really special. Although it was quite dangerous in a rougher area, I just loved loved it for what it was. And, cric and cricket. Graham Smith, Vaughan van Jarsfeld, they all... They all, all went through that area. Yeah, all that area. Although a bit younger than me, but big cricketing school, Neil McKenzie and the McKenzies. My brother was a big cricketer, family cricketers. So just surrounded by sports and good weather and good people. Wow. Um and when did you start to know that, hey, I might actually have a, a future in rugby? I was when I was playing soccer or football because the primary school I went to didn't have rugby. So I love soccer. 
and I love the spatial awareness of soccer and the ball movements and the speed of the ball. And and then when I went to high school, it was compulsory. And um, and then I, you know, I love the physicality of rugby. So I started playing and went through a really successful school team uh, when I was 15, 16, and then went into provincial trials and only two guys didn't make that team and I was one of them. And uh, it was it was a hard lesson, but a great lesson because it made me really work. And the following year, I made the provincial team and, and so it went. And then captaincy sort of was always given that privilege and I loved captaining teams. You know, that's you know, probably a bit more of a, a battler than a talented guy, but I just battled on and inspiring people. And then, yeah, sort of got to captain all the provincial teams I went through and then I captained at uni and then captained at the sevens. Mm. And, um, and then I stopped playing and I missed it a lot. And then John Dobson, who's now the Stormers coach, said, come to UCT, University of Cape Town and coach here and just loved it again, you know. So, yeah. My parents are both teachers, so I've seen them teach and coach, and I understand growing up, you know, the different environments and getting the best out of people, and that sort of inspired me to where I am. So the Sevens campaign in your career there, it didn't last for that long, so you, you moved into coaching pretty quickly. Yeah, I did Sevens for two two seasons. Um, I broke my leg playing overseas because I used to go play uh, in the UK in the off-season, and, um, and I just didn't recover as well you know i lost a lot of speed and sevens is not a game for guys who are slow you know so, but um yeah yeah and then i just went back and played club rugby at uct uh, under alan solomons and john dobson and those guys and loved it and then robbie fleck was actually the backline coach at that stage and then flecky went on to stormers and then they said well, do you want to just come and coach and I had this opportunity and i loved it so i still miss playing to be honest mm. that's why i do other things around to stay fit and get that sort of hit but yeah coaching is very special um the the link then with australia did that come through that vessel was going to the western force or is this your own no so davy or davy hooked up first with the brumbies with jake yeah and then michael foley got hold of dave and said oh do you want to come across and i'd coached with dave for a long time um and then the force were looking at starting an academy at that stage so i went out to meet falls and then that sort of he, he said, well, why don't you come, you know, Dave was only consulting. Do you want to take the back end of Dave's consulting role? And I did. And then we sort of just headed off and he said, look, Dave's going to come back. You come back and coaching's timing, right place, right time. You know, you get an opportunity. I think you're lucky, you know, and um, I didn't, I said to my wife for two years in Australia, you know, and now we're citizens and we love it. You know? So we, we've had that opportunity in the Perth and, yeah, been here now for 10 years. Yeah. Two years, uh, so you, your wife must love Australia then too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, we very we were very settled and very happy in in Cape Town. Um, she's awesome, you know. So she said, "Yeah, we'll go give it a go." And we had our third child in Perth, so you know that was amazing. My son was two, just turned three, two days after we landed, and my daughter, my second daughter, was three months old. And I think she's had that time with them, but um, it's, we've, we've all grown through the experience. But we do love Australia. Well, was it difficult though leaving South Africa? I imagine it is. You've got your family, your friends there. Yeah. Was there, had you been thinking about Australia? Because a lot of South Africans end up no, in Perth. No, no, that's a weird thing. I wasn't. You know, yeah. I, I loved what I was doing. And I got the phone call, and yeah, I'm not negative about South Africa at all. You mm. know, I see the challenges, and um, I'm very positive about it because I know that there are good people there working hard. But 
I just, you know, opportunity to go travel. And I was lucky through sevens and my career, I traveled. My wife loves traveling. So I said, why don't we go travel, you know, and go to Perth for a while. And the beaches are just unbelievable, which is our thing, you know, family on the beach. And yeah, so she loved it. Hasn't really transitioned into the Melbourne beaches as, as easily, but it's been great. Be cool of the water. Yeah. Um, is your idea of what Australian rugby, is that different to what you envisioned when you were in South Africa? No, so I loved, um, my school was called the Reds, our nickname. And then there was the Queensland Reds. So every time the Reds in those areas were so powerful and strong, Ben Tune and all these guys, whenever the Reds had a good win, the article in the paper would have a headline, the Reds, and I'd cut it out and pretend it was our school team. So the Reds are winning this and the Reds are winning that. So I watched a lot of Australian rugby and I loved it. I just loved the thinking, watching Joe Roth hit these lines and smart plays and and when I got here, I realized, okay, Australian athletes are all different to South African athletes. You know, Australian athletes will ask why, and they really want to understand the game. And where South African athletes are just tell me where to go, and I'm going to go sort of thing. So that was a challenge, um, but a good challenge for me. I, I like the way we think about rugby in Australia. I just probably would like to see us um, grow this generation. I think we're on a really good wicket now going into Lions and World Cup, but just keeping this guys together for as long as possible now to make sure by the time 2027 rolls in we've got a lot of caps and a lot of guys who are playing for the right reasons and want to represent australia if i, I know that there's no real easy super rugby franchise to be associated with at the moment because it's had its own challenges particularly in australia but the western force and the melbourne rebels are probably two franchises mm -hmm. that have had more challenges than the rest you, you still seem positive and optimistic about the future of rugby in these two cities and states? Yeah, I think it's, uh, look, five five teams for Australia is a lot, in my personal opinion, because I remember, like you said, growing up watching Australia, there were three teams, you know, and they were very strong. And now with the Japanese markets and the French markets and all these guys leaving, now it's really, you know, if it becomes too diluted, it's, it's a challenge. So that's why I think both the Force and the Rebels should be afforded the opportunity to hang on to players for as long as possible, you know, and really build their cultures and their teams around those players. So um, it is a challenge, Christy, with five teams, but um, it's still an opportunity. You've got to reframe it. And I'm very, very fortunate to be in Melbourne with, like I said, the diversity of the group, young group. So there's a lot of excitement now. And with that excitement, they, you have to be urgently patient. Mm. You, know, you have to understand that we want to win. I mean, Christy, if I'm not winning, you're going to be barking at me, you know. But at the same time, I want to make sure that we bring this generation through and they're going to be leaving this club in a really good place. So. You said that the Rebels and the Force may be afforded more um, and allowed to have players stay here for longer. Is that the idea of um, incentivising players to stay here with remuneration or, or what is that? Look well, like? I think all different players have different reasons for staying. But... Um, you know, if I'm a, a young man and I'm supporting my family and I can get word double overseas, it's a really hard decision to make. You know, so sometimes maybe oh, it is money, you know, or maybe it's longer contracts with security saying we won't sign you for two years, we're going to sign you for four years. When the Lions got relegated out of Super Rugby and the Kings came in and then Rudolf Strali took over at the Lions, I remember talking to them and he, he wanted to offer them six-year contracts because he knew that's what it was going to take to build this uh, union back up to where it is and those guys just stuck together stuck together mustard krill all that all of them 
went on to play Springboks and now the Lions are in such a good space, you know, they're solid where they have to be. Mm. So I do think that it's long-term thinking is a, is a way to go for the force and the Rebels. When you came to the Rebels, um, it had clearly been a, a tough period for Australian rugby. Um, and then a couple of years of mixed results, probably not quite building on the consistency, and that's a theme in Australian rugby full stop. But COVID came along and uh, that obviously affected Melbourne more than most Super Rugby franchises with the, the most amount of days in lockdown from in, in the entire world. Um, what was it like for you and your young family? That was tough. Um, you know, we sort of had to get out and get out quickly, which is always a challenge because you're saying goodbye and it's not really on your terms. You know, when we're going on tours, I can put a calendar up and say, oh, this is when I'm going to be away and, and it was just get out. And um, we left and we were gone for three and a half months. And Chris, if I'm honest, I um, I worry about my kids at times. I worry about Jeff's kids. You know, we had Sean Byrne with us. All of us had three young kids. Will Markwick, three young kids, you know. So we all had to get out. And um, and that was a real challenge because we're all family. We, we're family men, you know. And, uh, you know, I still remember, I'll never forget walking home down the driveway after the three and a half months. And I didn't tell my kids I was coming home. And... Anyway, it just was so emotional for all of us. You know, uh, sometimes uh, I go to work and my son was telling me, "Are you coming home?" And I'm saying, "I'm definitely coming home." You know, it was just a very difficult time in our lives. And again, it's um, I look back on it with mixed emotions because we actually bonded really well in Terrigal. You know, it was a really good time for us as a club, and it showed people's resilience and it showed people's reframing and being positive in a difficult situation. But I do, I am concerned about the people who were left behind in Melbourne. You know, mm. to live through that every single day. Um, so it's just about supporting them now and making sure that they're okay. Yeah, and at the time, you could kind of get out. There were periods where New South Wales was in lockdowns and, you know, you know on the beach there, terrible, mm. it's not the mm. worst life. Mm. But were there stages when you've got the young family where you're thinking, this is a bit, this is not what I signed up for and um, or, or did you not get to that point? Well, it, it, it was difficult, Chris, because we still didn't know an end point. Hmm. You know, so I couldn't tell them when I'm coming home. And that was difficult. But um, see, I love my job, you know. So selfishly, if you if, if I won the lottery today, I'd be here tomorrow. And that's selfishly how I feel I'm in the right place. You know, this is – I love to change people's lives. I love to be around young energy. I love to play a brand of rugby that's exciting. Hmm. So – but I'd say if I was to think about my family, no, that's not fair on them. So um, I've got mixed emotions around that. Mm. In 2021, you become emerges the new head coach of the Rebels. Um, was it difficult knowing that the Rebels hadn't quite performed how you wanted and you ended up uh, filling the, the void of, of Dave Vessels, who's moved on or moves on himself? Um, what was that like, that transition? Well, it was first challenging with Dave and I because we've coached together for a long time, you know, and he's a good friend of mine. Uh, Dave was ready to go. I knew he was ready to go. So that that was okay. But I suppose the challenge of being again in another lockdown in Sydney, uh, going into the New Zealand teams and being – because Sean and Dave um, exited the program at that stage. Mm. So it was Jeff Pauling, myself, and, and we had Pommy, which um, was great, you know, and that relationship with Pom and I – we were right in the trenches at that stage. You know, there was five New Zealand teams to come, coaches down, 
players were leaving because of COVID, they couldn't handle it anymore. <clears throat> so that was a challenge. But um, again, Chrissy, like we got my my coaching record was zero and five in that tournament, you know. And then my first five games last year was zero and five, zero and ten, and that was challenge. That was that was hard because. I hate losing. I hate winning. I, 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 sorry. I hate losing. It, it, you know, winning to me is really important. I feel I've let down a lot of people when we don't win. I feel my family. I feel the sacrifice of them leaving Cape Town. I feel the investment from the board here, the coaches, everyone. I just that's um that's my DNA. That's how I'm wired. You know, so zero and ten was hard, but I'm also a very optimistic person. So the balance of getting okay, well, people need you to lead and be in front and show that. There's a way out of this. It was awesome for me. And I've got a coach, South Africa, who's helped me a lot through that, you know, and Zoom's challenging. And now I've got a, a guy called Andrew Waterson who I've brought in this year, who's a performance psychologist who's worked through the Demons when they won the flag, and he's at the Hawks. And so I've got a three-year plan with him and the club and bringing us as a staff, myself, the staff, leaders, and then the whole club to a performance psychologist now to really get us into the right headspace to be successful. Zero from 10, you can probably understand the zero from five because you're not only up mm. against New Zealand opposition, but you've taken over and, and yeah. coaches bring new ideas and typically want to mix things up a little bit because generally when you come in, things haven't quite worked out for the, the previous coach. Um, did you try to reinvent the wheel or? Yeah, I did. I did. Like, okay, um, there's two things that... Obviously, we want to be successful and we can talk about that. And we've got some really good goals for us and how we're going to do that. We've got a roadmap for this year and we've got to be flexible. If something doesn't go well, we've got to move and that's fine. But I also, Christy, I love rugby and I love super rugby. I, I, I played overseas. I didn't enjoy it as much. Mm. I didn't like the style of rugby. I like Australian style of rugby. I like us playing a highly skillful game at speed. Um, and that, that, I want to play a style of rugby that people go, just that's awesome. You know, I want to play that game. So when we were at the conference at the back of last year, a couple of guest speakers got up and Sky Racing, guy around the Sky Racing, and he was unbelievable. And he said when he took over Sky Racing, two two big goals. One, they wanted to win the Tour de France in five years, which was massive. You know, winning the Tour de France, you know how competitive that is. Mm. But the second goal was to get a million people to ride to work. And I thought, geez, that's pretty awesome because they're inspiring people to get involved in the sport. I, I want us to be really successful here. And then I want to inspire people to play Rebels rugby, which is the old way of Australia. You know, just real, real skillful, ball movement, awesome tries, resilience, you know, tough, true blue Aussie blood, you know, like going to get in front of you and I'm not going to move. So um, I'm inspired to those two things, yeah. You made mention beforehand of uh, a guy back in South Africa you talk about uh, rugby with or mm. life with. Mm. Can you tell us who that is? Yeah, so he's actually my best friend, uh, Duncan Woods. He captained South African water polo for 12 years. So he was going on his water polo journey. I was going on my rugby journey. The toughest pre-seasons I've ever had because he'd be in the pool and I would swim one length, get out, wait, and he'd go back, forth, back. Then I'd swim another length with him and I'd be racing him. I swim like a staffy, so I'm just passionate, but I'm not going anywhere. But just the lung capacity, and then we'd wrestle in the pool. And water polos are very, what you see above the water is not what's happening below the water. And he'd kick and scratch and pull and 
actually pull me under and just that toughness all the time um very special man uh and he's gone into coaching now and um his wife actually katie who was at uni with me uh played two olympic games for south africa hockey so that's a real sporting family and anyway he he's he's become a coach and just getting that balance understanding my values my purpose first and foremost and then putting my strengths into place around my coaching so he's a really good support for me yeah and you're not always just talking about rugby there are no, you it's no. it's just life principles and it's coaching like, principles very very solemn as a rugby yeah you know it's talking about you know things like um you know how i get the best out of people you know generally not always on the rugby field but just generally how we connect people how we make them feel like they belong and then you know bad result good result how i'm presenting what am i showing up to be every day so it's good and i remember last year before the season gets underway and a ball is kicked you've got a new captain um you've got uh the start of a new era really and you spoke about wanting to get back to the old school's um, super rugby values and and make the product one that's exciting for everyone to watch. It clearly didn't translate initially anyway. Um, how did you get through those early stages where it's pretty difficult, back against the wall, new mm. coach, um, uh, new idea? Did you feel like... Well, this isn't working. Do I need to go back, or how did you get through that period? Well, um, you know, I'm doing the defence and head coaching role, so that's that's a challenge because it's different hats at different times. Um, I'm, I'm working closely with Pom now because he's going to be a great defence coach. But at that stage, we had a new attack coach come in, Ryan Martin. He was great. You know, he had his own ideas, but I wanted to afford him as much time because we really wanted to our attack to get going. We had played previously more of a conservative sort of style of rugby, Rebels rugby, we kicked a lot of ball away and you could feel uh, not only the fans, but the players wanted to express themselves a little bit more, but that takes time, you know, the confidence of attacking. And in the beginning, um, you know, the conditions aren't as favourable for ball movement and keeping the ball in the hand. The first first kickoff of Super Rugby, we dropped the ball cold, you know, after that. So, look, it didn't go away, but I also know we didn't have, we had a lot of injuries early on last year. We had 14 injuries going into the first round, um, which didn't help, and there's no excuses for that. But the style of rugby, it'll take a bit of time and takes a bit of confidence and takes a bit of preparation. Everyone thinks, oh, you'd be brave, but you can't be reckless. You have to be prepared, really prepared, and understand, you know, what it looks like. And once you do that, then you feel brave. Then you all of a sudden are prepared to be a fearless. So by the end of it, we were averaging 27 points a game, you know, which is against some New Zealand opposition. The Blues pumped us, but we put the most points on them as well. So from that side of the ball, my learning from there, Chris, is that it has to be 50-50 attack defence. You know, I was putting so many eggs in the basket because the first two games we didn't score one try and I could feel the pressure on the coaching staff and I wanted to support and say, stay at it, you know, stay at this. But it can't be at the expense of the balance of the game and defence, as we know, can score a lot of tries for you as well. So good learning for me. That won't happen again. And, you know, now we've got Sambo in there, one of the most humble people I've ever met, you know, and um, I spoke to him about this. This was a challenge for me. Now it's another new attack coach. Um, and he said, Footy, there's some great principles in what you did last year. We can run with those. And that's credit to him, you know. So he's really been awesome for me. And to have him, who's been a head coach, you know, I bounce a lot of things off him. He takes a lot of pressure off me. Jeff's 
unbelievable in that space as well. Takes a lot of pressure off me. Stalzy being a head coach. So now I've got Palm and I've got all these supports around me where I can feel I can really concentrate on the culture and the environment. Mm. Another way of looking at it, and perhaps from the outside, people might go, well, hang on, there's three former or two former head coaches in there. Is there a clash of egos or mm. something like that? Did you feel completely comfortable with the idea that there were going to be other head coaches here who generally got strong opinions themselves? Yeah, I mean, you only have to chat to Sambo and yeah. you realise he's not he's not an ego guy, you know. So, um, no, I actually didn't feel like that. I actually was, I'm quite in, um, excited about the support because they've walked in these shoes and they can see, okay, I can jump in here. And I was honest about it. This is when I feel a little bit stressed. Uh, one of the things my coach speaks to me a lot about is your performance sits on this line. Above the line is your potential. Below the line is your distraction. Once you start to get distracted, you're not even thinking about your potential anymore. You're starting to dip on performance. And I'm pretty clear with the staff around when I'm getting distracted, you step in either to tell me, pull your head in, or footy, I, let me help you here and take this guy on or whatever it is. So I feel like that we really get in the balance of that synergy and co-coaching and it's a big support for me. I saw Sambo just before. Um, he looks as fit as ever. He's pretty tanned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a bit of time on those Perth beaches. But yeah. I caught up with him last month too, and he rode his bike. He's pushy just to the pub to get a beer. Um, uh, are you going to be encouraging Styles? He's a, to keep up, with, to keep up yeah. with the fitness regime that you guys do. You're, you're pretty yeah. fit yourself, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. Styles, yeah, we definitely will. I mean, you know, Sambo's family's not here, and, and we are talking about family earlier. And even with my family being away, I called him in on Monday and said, are you okay? Because you miss them, you know. And I think it's the weekends that are the hardest, you know, when you don't have the grind. But, yeah, look, he's he's looking great. And Stiles is actually a very good runner. He used to run a lot. So just push I call him Tim Tim now because he's a biscuit, you know. But he's, he's more of a, a double chalk biscuit at the moment. Then. <laughs> <laughs> and very, very good. Um, yeah, like your family's still in South Africa. So... When, when are they expected to come back? They come in two weeks. So um, we've got a camp next week, which is going to be great. And we've got a really good um, agenda or um, sort of run sheet for our camp. And that camp will be, it's not a camp style drought or what are those, you know, it's not a physical camp. It's going to be rugby. I've got uh, Jordan Way and Damon Murphy coming down. So I want to speak about the new laws, which will be good for us, get them to watch our training and then ref some of our sessions. So we start to build that connection with them and understanding the new laws. We'll introduce our new leadership model. Uh, Wellesley was great last year. Don't get me wrong. You know, he's an older guy. He's very mature, very good for a young group. Um, but now we want to go to more of a strength leadership model, two on-field, two off-field categories. And we really aligned with who those guys are you know, and how they're going to lead. Um, we want to make sure that the Wallabies come to speed quickly around our game model, what we want to achieve this year around our goals. Um, yeah, and then just bring up some of the theming that we've done and then connect. So we've got a few barbecues going. We'll have the staff coming in on the Wednesday. So we want to lock away a lot of the commercial stuff, which can be distracting during mm -hmm. the year. So the whole Wednesday, we usually, it's the day off. They'll come down to the Navy barracks and get through a lot of the, the media and commercial requirements and we'll turn around after camp my family will come home and while they've been jet lagged i'm leaving for fiji for a trial so i won't be the most popular guy but yeah we've got our first trial game you know in fiji which will be excellent again for young guys who've never been to fiji the crowd the humidity all that stuff before we actually get to go there in the first first half of the season 
it'll be hot up there. Um, there's a there's a big year for Carter Gordon ahead. Um, last year he started the opening round, and it might have been him that dropped that that kickoff. But are you, he gets dropped or relegated to the bench, I think, a week later. Mm. Um, in, in hindsight, was that the right move? Um, mm. Do you how do you reflect on when you've got young tens coming through? Because it's been a constant struggle for Australian rugby for a long time, being able to give um, time for young tens, develop them, and even when they don't necessarily go well, that maybe rather than being out of the 23 or adding five minutes at the end of games, getting 20 minutes, um, how did you reflect on on his development and, and yeah. your role in his development? That was a, that was a challenge, Chris, because at that stage uh, we had Pup as well. Yeah. And Pup, all our comments through with Wallabies, they were looking at him at 12 at that stage. And Pup wanted to play 10, but we had quite this young. So, again, the balance out of that. Then it was back in Queensland, back where Carter grew up, and there was a bit of hype around that. And look, I wouldn't say it was his best game, and that's fine, you know. Like, but did I protect him in that space? Probably not. You know, maybe it was a better call to go with Pup at ten at that stage and bring Carter off the bench. But I've got a lot of belief in Carter, mm. a lot of belief, and he's backed that up this year. Samba said to me, "Geez, this guy—he's a student of the game. He's diligent. He's a good speaker now." So Pup's sort of mentored him, but now Pup's moved on, and he's got that that space so um i've i've spoken to obviously the wallaby staff around some bolters for the world cup and it i i mean there's obviously a surplus of really good young tens in our country which is great but carter should be there in and about in the camps as much as possible because he's going to be really good he's fast i think he's second fastest in our group he's big he's physical he can kick both feet good distributor it's just developing him now you know and as a young man you know what they say young men we only develop our frontal end of our brain at 25 so that decision making stuff just going to come all the time so putting him on the bench was a good thing for him but he bought in he said yep I, i'm fine with that you know and i'm going to learn and i'm going to be diligent and by the end he was back in the starting spots and did really really well for us so i've got big reps on on quarter and mason I think Mason's going to be great as well. You know, he's mm. really, really, he's not as physical as Carter at the moment, but so young. I remember when Mason arrived at the club and he, he, we went to a Christmas party and he wasn't allowed to drink. We had to ask permission for him to sit in the pub area, but he wasn't drinking, you know, so young, Christy. Like, Super Rugby players in this country are very, very young. There's a whole bunch of them as well. Uh, you look at the Western Force, there's an yeah. injured Rajan Pasatoa, yeah. yeah. but... Um, you know, at the at the Waratahs, there's two or three guys that are 22, 23. Yeah. Um, the Brumbies, Noel Olseo is still yeah. what only 22. I think he only just turned 22. So, uh, how do you think um, collectively Australian rugby's got to look at the young players coming through? Time, urgently patient. Like I said, that was one of the things. And I just, of course, we want to win and we want to do well, but we've got to have a six, seven year plan. That's the key. We want to know 2027 when we're hosting the World Cup, how are we going to win it? And they'll know that. But uh, my feeling is that obviously you've got um, the Waratahs and the Reds. Brumbies, very successful, big unions. You've got a lot of rugby players there. And then you've got the two, you've got the Rebels and the Force. But I, well, I, I, I put something to the board around probably 10 to 12 guys who I believe in 2027 could be right at their prime. They're in that age bracket between 26 and 30, depending on forward and back. And if we can lock in 
15, 16 games of Super Rugby for them every year, starting to win games, beating New Zealand teams, getting to finals. Plus, on top of that, we don't have NRC anymore, but more games, more rugby, not training, more games, whether we're touring, playing together, building our TWR. And you start to get to the 50, 60, 70 plus games coming 2027, we'll be in a really good space, but we have to invest and we have to keep them here. Well, and one of the issues last year was um, to begin with at the start of the year, your Wallabies players, you probably better players, struggled. Um, I think about Reese Hodge mm -hmm. uh, in particular. What do you need to see from them this year that you didn't see them from the start of last year? You know, I made a, mis well, I made a mistake in a presser. I said Hodge is probably trying too hard, and I didn't mean that in a I, – I, that's his character. He just goes, Hodge is the only one, Chrissy, that I've had since – being in this role, that's come back early from an injury, which is testament to his character. You know, he pushed and pushed and pushed with that pick to play early. So I've just got to acknowledge him for that first and foremost. Um, and he first of all said, oh, I didn't play the way I want to play and I've got better. My, my thing is um, they've got a big calendar, you know, but when, they, when they're with the Wallabies, I'd let them be. I show them love and support and I need them to be present there. When they come back out, they've got to be present with us and understand what journey we on and obviously challenge at times because young squad they want to win so they look over their shoulder and they see guys without experience but being really good mentors and looking after those guys so that we do get the performance is going to be what i expect of them i want them to drive high standards but have empathy enough to understand where they are in their journey you know these youngsters and then you know good good players get the best out of the people around them. It's not always about them. And I'm not saying our guys do that. They don't do that at all. Matt Phillip is injured and Rob Lioda now, and they've been unbelievable in our environment. So it's just getting them present, making sure they understand what our goals are for the year, um, and then just buy in, just let's go sort of thing. It's such a sprint. It happens like that, Super Rugby. So we don't have time to think we want to start, start well. Mm. Who are a couple of the players, younger guys, that people might not have heard of that, maybe we will start to see emerge yeah. this year. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll speak about Kemeny, Josh. The guys will know Josh, but he was out the whole of last year. Yeah. And Kem's had a bad ACL, unfortunately, and then the rehab, you know, was a tricky one. Um, he's been working with that sports psych, Andrew Waterson, and he's turned the corner. So definitely Josh Kemeny. You know, he's still a young guy. Comes out of Sydney Uni, been in a good program, just... Uh, is a monster. He's going to go really well. He'll push hard now. You know, at six, his his work ethic is really, really good. Um, and then Trevor Hosea, you know, I haven't coached Trev since I've been here, you know, so Trev out the whole year. Um, we had a turning point with Trev. He, he returned last year after Christmas and we tested, as you do, and his testing was, it, it was fine. You know, he passed. But that's all he did was pass. And I kicked him out of training. I said, I've got better, bigger things for you. You know, we, if you're just going to keep plateauing, yeah, that's all we're going to get. That's not where the club wants to go. I honestly, because thank goodness other staff were with me because I could see him clinching his fist. He was furious, furious with me for kicking him out. He passed. You know, why, why am I not training? But I think at that point he realized how much belief I've got in him, we've got in him. And he went away and he just, started to train and train and train. And he he's now get comfortable with being uncomfortable, which is Trev's big work on. Like when things are going to get dark, stand up, show good body language and go after it. And his physical shape now is incredible. So Trevor Jose and Josh Kemney, Brad's older, Brad Walken, but he's, you know, he showed in the 20s that he's awesome. And then we've got Daniel Mayava. Uh, sorry, in the A-games, we've got Daniel Mayava, 
Zakhoff in the pack there, um, who are going to be incredible. We've got LeBron, David Vahu, Glenn's younger brother. We've got Mason Gordon. We've got Le- um, Divad Palu. So we've got this four, five, six guys in the Oz 20s, you know, who've done really well um, to represent Melbourne to get there. So there's a young batch, but like I say, they're just, they're young. And we're meeting with them where they're at, and we're going to get good mentors around them. And we're just going to hold on to them. That's the thing. Can I just explore quickly the um, Trevor Jose? Was that just kicking him out of one session? And another week. The week. Yeah, he won't train this week, so team will go out, and he wasn't allowed to be with them. Now, I'm not humiliating him or anything. I was open with the team. I said, "This is Trevor's potential," and um, and uh, Trevor's great. Came and saw me afterwards. I know his family well, and he said it hurts. I'm okay. I understand what I have to do, and. It's gone after it, and we unbelievable athletic um, department chair who really support well, push, pull, you know, challenge and support, challenge and support all the time. Have you seen Trev? Not not recently, but yeah. I, I remember standing next to him. Uh, it would have been twenty twenty one, middle of the year when he was invited up to mm-hmm. a wider Wallabies yeah, yeah. Uh, up in Coogee, I think it was, and he didn't quite look as built out a, as a Lapetti Himani mm-hmm. did at the time. Um, yeah. No, he's, when you see him, I call him Worms now because it looks like in his bicep, he's got a worm caught in his bicep, you know. <laughs> so he's cool. And then Josh Cannum, Josh Cannum also, you know, Melbourne boy, you know, he's come through. But as a locker, he's really impressive. Last year, uh, Auckland RTM Cup asked, can we get Josh for the season? And we're actually quite keen for him to go through a development stage, but he had a few niggles and we wanted to look after him. But he's making noise around the place. So pretty excited about him as well. The Melbourne environment is one where people continue to talk about about rugby's place in Melbourne, but it does seem like there's a lot of Melbourne product developed players rising through the system. Yeah, Stiles has done a good job there and identifying in Baden very much in the community. We're not the private school. Schools aren't playing. The private school, we've got St Kevin's and we've got some good private schools here, but we've got to get into the community because that's, you know, where all our Pacifica guys are and that's their dads played rugby and they love rugby, you know. So we got to tap into that, which we are doing now. Jimmy Orange and we've got some guys in the community who are going out there and pretty passionate about rugby and now just bring them in. You know, the diverse cultures are going to be great for us and they love rugby. Mm. They're coming here for the right reason. Number one, they love rugby. They wake up and they play rugby, which is similar to South Africa. You know, you go and touch rugby on every beach that you see and that sort of stuff. So... The passion for the games there, which is which is cool. Do you optimistic about rugby in Melbourne? Yeah, very, very. I mean, there's challenges. Reframe, see what strengths you've got, and move forward. Like, let's go. So, I'm very optimistic about it. And like I say, um, I feel this year, second year, and the groups definitely brought more into the culture. What we're trying to achieve, how we want to play, our game model. So, I'm very optimistic. And and just finally, um. Let's just go back a little bit because you said earlier that uh, you remember Nelson Mandela and, mm-hmm. and um, the World Cup being there. Um, you, you had a little cameo, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I did. Uh, Jason Vaughan, you know, he's Matt Damon's. Uh, I was lucky enough to, anyway, just to help him out with a few things. I might have gotten into the movie, but you know, Matt Damon's actually not a big guy. You know, and um, they told me the size didn't fit and all that sort of stuff. But it was amazing to be on sort of set and then meet Matt Damon and Morgan Freeman, Clint Eastwood. I mean, Clint Eastwood, can you believe it? You know, mm-hmm. like so. And then two days later, they told me you don't have the part, but 
will you mind taking Matt to the Italian game, South Africa playing Italy in Newlands? And uh, all the security were moved for us and I was walking away, <laughs> went upstairs and I sat next to Matt for the whole game and he was so enthusiastic, wanted to know about the game and all this sort of stuff. So that was a really cool experience for me, you know, to meet those guys. So uh, I know there's a World Cup this year, but there'll be a World Cup in Australia in 2027. If if Australia was to play South Africa in the World Cup final, <laughs> who, who are you cheering on? Um, I'll go Australia now, and I say that because Australia's invested so heavily in me, so heavily. You know, we either rent or your own. I feel like um, I owe a lot to Australia for this opportunity. And also, I know these guys now, you know, I've, I'm with them, you know, like I've so invested in them and doing well. But having said that as well, like South Africa was enormous for me. Wearing a Springbok was everything and it made me who I am today. And I also know how important it is for South Africa when they do well for the whole country. So it's, I'm, I'm mixed there, but I have to choose a side that then I have to, you know, say that right now, Australia, you know, but maybe one day I'll land up in South Africa again. I don't know, you know, but for now, um, while I'm invested and while people have put so much into me, I want to pay that back. Kevin Foote, thanks for joining me. Awesome, thanks.